Hello, and welcome to another edition of Across the States, the premier state and local policy podcast. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and I am honored and pleased to be joined today by two special guests to discuss criminal justice reform. First, Representative Kim Moser, member of the Kentucky House Representatives from the 64th District, and Lourdes Batista, policy analyst here at ALEC. Welcome to Across the States. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Now, I have been looking forward to this podcast, and I'm going to throw it over to Lourdes, who will set the stage for us and our listeners as for today's topic. Thank you again, Matthew, for having us today. It is a pleasure to be here. Again, my name is Lourdes Bautista, and I'm a policy analyst at ALEC. For over the last decade, criminal justice reform has gained a lot of traction in the states. Formerly incarcerated individuals face many obstacles in the reintegration process, ranging from low education attainment, social stigma, occupational licensing restrictions, housing issues, and the list goes on and on. Studies show the need to invest in comprehensive reentry programs including educational programs, given that just 65% of prisoners are educated at a high school level, compared with 82% of the general population. Empirical studies have also shown the effectiveness of reentry programs when it comes to mitigate the high recidivism rates. Effectively, prisoner reentry programs were effective at reducing recidivism and in improving job readiness skills. In addition, those who completed drug rehabilitation were less likely to have been arrested or commit new crimes. The benefits and advantages of reentry efforts are well-founded, and so are empowering employers to hire those with criminal history. We're looking forward to hearing from you today, Representative Moser. Let's kick things off by discussing some background. Now, criminal justice reform is an important topic that's garnered more attention in recent years, deservedly so. And There are numerous different facets of our legal system, including pretrial, prisons, and sentencing. But recidivism is a major issue, the cycle of inmates going in and out of prison without a successful reentry into society. Now, what inspired you to explore the issue of recidivism and ultimately pursue this reform plan? Well, thank you, Matthew. You know, I guess, first of all, I should go back to really what got me interested in this issue at all. So I have family members, like many people and friends, whose lives have really been changed by addiction and by being a part of the criminal justice system. I have lost a nephew to the disease of addiction, and I've seen firsthand what some of the issues are that that I'll discuss a little bit later, but the ways that they impacted he and his family. So in addition to that, when I served as the director of drug policy in uh, Northern Kentucky, I studied data related to relapse and recidivism, and I worked with our local detention center to bolster the treatment available to inmates and the resources outside of jail. I worked with families with loved ones, uh, healthcare professionals, and individuals who eventually escaped the grips of addiction who shared their experiences. I also worked with judges, jailers, social workers, and treatment providers and spent time understanding the issues that they dealt with in drug and family courts. The recurrent theme, keeping people stuck in the cycle of the justice system, was a lack of connection to the outside resources, appropriate medical treatment, and a stable job. It just kept emerging as a barrier to being successful upon release uh, from incarceration. And we know that, that most people are eventually 
uh, released from incarceration. 96% of inmates are released and often they're released without the tools that they need to be successful. As was mentioned in the introduction, only 65% of prisoners are educated at a high school level as compared with 82% of the general population. So understanding that encouraging continuing education, participation in jail programming, such as drug treatment programs and job training will only improve the outlook for individuals who are struggling to regain their independence upon release. So these are all the reasons that this has become so important to me. I couldn't agree more with you, Representative Moser. Thanks to your bill, formerly incarcerated individuals count with more resources outside of jail in Kentucky. I can see why you're so passionate about criminal justice reform. Now, I'd like to shift the focus to the bill itself. How does the bill remove barrier to entry? Can you explain in more detail the mechanism this bill put in place to help former inmates to reintegrate into society? Sure. Again, you know, the background is we know that employee employment is a huge barrier for people. And if you don't get and keep a job once released from prison, you're more likely to end up on the wrong side of justice again. So this new law hopes to correct this and lift this barrier. We know that when people have a felony on their record, the likelihood of their becoming employed and self-sufficient decreases substantially. So we asked what we can do to help to get people back into society and become taxpaying citizens again and fully recover. When an individual has served out their sentence and their debt to society, and they've done everything that we've asked them to do, they deserve a second chance. This law encourages employers to become those second chance employers that we so desperately need to help people get back on their feet and to give people who've paid their debt to society again, a chance at meaningful employment. So this gives offenders who have successfully completed education, training and job opportunities, a certificate of employability, and it gives liability protections for employers as well as necessary IDs. When people are released from prison, and most people are, they are released with basically what they brought in. That means that the only form of identification that people have is their mugshot. So think about getting out of prison and going to apply for a job, and the only ID you have is your mugshot. So a state-issued ID, we know, helps set people up for success and to get that fresh start at life. The Department of Corrections will assist prisoners with collecting important documents such as social security cards, birth certificates, diplomas, or other completed educational certifications, and things like successful job training, jail programming, and things like that. And the DOC will also assist with resume preparation prior to release. This law also allows DOC to partner with transportation to issue that ID for which the individual's qualified. So if they're qualified for a driver's license, they can get that. If um, they need a personal state ID or a personal ID that is the voluntary travel or you know the real ID compliant ID, they can get that. It also provides limited liability to employers in that an employer may use the certificate of employability as evidence of their due care 
in hiring. So they can use this in, you know, if they hire an individual, uh, retention of that individual, licensing, leasing to if they have a housing issue, even getting admitted to a school or a, a vocational program is sometimes a challenge for folks who have a, a criminal record. So it provides that limited liability for those employers. It also lifts the ban on SNAP benefits for felons. And we know that this helps uh, those folks with dependent children until they're better able to provide for their family. And then lastly, this prioritizes a provision of coverage. If an 1150 waiver is received by the state allowing Medicaid coverage to prisoners 30 days prior to release, to assist with things like treatment for a substance use disorder or mental health treatment. And it, it just builds a stronger continuum of care once the individual is released. So all of these are critical issues for individuals being released from incarceration and, um, and is certainly critical if we hope to genuinely reduce the cycle of relapse and recidivism. Definitely true. Now, when it comes to our legal system, Americans value accountability. Your plan aims to curb recidivism and give individuals second chances, but with clear standards and stipulations for reentry. Now, what are some of the programs that incarcerated individuals need to complete and to finish in order to reenter society and obtain what your plan includes a certificate? What do they need to do? What bars do they need to breach? Right. So this legislation and, and now new law in Kentucky requires that the Department of Corrections work with individuals to offer a certificate of employability when certain skills and criteria are met. In order for individuals to be issued this certificate, they must either attain a high school equivalency diploma or GED or other educational credit or further levels of education while they're incarcerated. Uh, they can also successfully complete jail programming such as drug treatment, parenting classes, anger management, or work for time credit, things like that. This also creates consistency across all jails and prisons in Kentucky to provide that training and those educational opportunities. This holds the prisoners responsible for having no major disciplinary violations during the year that precedes their release. And they must also attain a score or a level of competence as determined by the DOC on a job skills assessment test. Um, there are also some penalties for any sort of fraudulent use of the certificate of employability, but by and large, the individuals need to meet certain criteria and um, attain certain skills. It is so encouraging to hear the work you are spearheading in Kentucky, equipping those who have been subject to the criminal justice system with the tools they need to succeed in their communities. Also, the confidence you provide to the employers who want to hire individuals with criminal history. In terms of challenges, I would like to hear more about the struggles you faced passing this bill. What were some of the main obstacles from a political, legislative, or even just from a practical perspective? And what does that show about general support and feasibility of meaningful criminal justice reform? Well, it has taken a long time and years of discussion to kind of lay the groundwork for such a piece of legislation and then reentry uh, legislation, generally speaking. It's taken us years to really realize that 
locking people up without facilitating rehabilitation and correction of previously learned behavior and coping skills is not really working. It costs states and counties millions in taxpayer dollars with no clear path to encouraging or empowering self-sufficiency. There are always safety issues to consider and of course restitution to victims of crime. So conversations around this are also important, but oftentimes if an individual is gainfully employed and able to be a contributing member of society, Freedom of a life of crime is just a natural consequence. The law enforcement officers that I've worked with and my fellow legislators who are retired from law enforcement are are really more open to these conversations now than several years ago. And I would say primarily because on the streets and on the ground, they are the ones who are seeing the same people over and over and over with no change in their behaviors without assistance. Addiction, if that's the issue, is nearly impossible to overcome without some sort of help. So we have generational institutionalization, and many of these folks have never been taught how to function in society. So, you know, as daunting a, a task as that is, working to really educate folks about what's really going on, what addiction really is, and kind of the breakdown in that person's life is critically important. Also working with all stakeholders is, is important legislatively. It's, it's always easier to hammer out differences of opinion and get input before, you're, before a committee presenting your bill. So laying the groundwork years in advance through education and data presentation are what I really find the most helpful. Absolutely, yeah. All issues are women's issues. The Allegheny's Women's Caucus convenes the best and brightest women leaders to learn from each other and create real change in their communities. Join women leaders like you at the Allegheny's annual meeting in Salt Lake City from July 28th to 30th. Learn more at alec.org forward slash women. So, Representative Moser, you mentioned the difficulties and tasks that needed to be addressed to pass House Bill 497. Now that this important reform to reduce recidivism passed, what do you believe should be the next step to improve our criminal justice system in Kentucky and elsewhere? Okay, so I I was thinking about this, and and I could easily just list off a, a kind of a list of things that we need to work on. But I think that in addition to you know, the fact that we need to hold people accountable for their actions, certainly. I think philosophically, my personal thought is I believe that much of this starts with our families and our educational system. And that's not to say that we need to lay more at the feet of our schools. We must start early in teaching life skills, relationship building, resilience, and positive coping skills in children and families, and preventing things like substance use and abuse, preventing things like single parenthood and poverty and the lifelong struggles that all of these things exacerbate. There are community organizations, faith-based organizations and churches. There are healthcare providers. All these people have the ability to reach folks before they have these struggles. We can do this without lifelong government assistance. And it's Simply, if we give people the education and the tools that they need to be self-sufficient early enough in life. So all that being said, 
Giving people a second chance to get their lives back on track when things go wrong is critical. But the goal should be to prevent the issues that lead to justice involvement in the first place. Our criminal justice system is completely overburdened. So given our current situation, I'd say that judges, family courts, and drug courts should all be supported. Drug treatment should be understood and available. Mental health care should be as routine as any other type of health care. Understanding how we fund our jails and programming will better inform us about why certain things are difficult to change in our system. How we treat juveniles and support broken families who enter the criminal justice system could do a lot to prevent mistakes from becoming a lifetime of incarceration. So all of these things give us kind of a basic understanding and, and those are the things that will guide us in affecting positive change that are more common sense reforms in our criminal justice system. We must just continue to include all stakeholders in these conversations to better understand what really makes a difference. I am glad you mentioned all these factors from helping to prevent justice involvement through education and family to relying on community organizations. This has been such an enriching conversation, and I cannot emphasize enough how much I learned. From our discussion today, it sounds like criminal justice reform will continue in the states, as states see the benefits of other states that have adopted criminal justice reform policies. Thank you again, Representative Mercer, for taking the time to talk to us about this topic. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Indeed. Thank you again, Representative Moser, for joining us. For our listeners, the ALEC Model Policies Resolution in Support of Reentry Programs and the Civil Liability for Employers Hiring Ex-Offenders contain several of the ideas of House Bill 497 discussed today. You can find those models at ALEC.org or in the description for this podcast. Again, thank you again, Representative Moser, for joining us. Thank you, Lord S. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Across the States. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and be sure to join us again next time for more of the Premier State Policy Podcast. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alec States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.